And um, we're going to be uh, reading this morning from Judges. We're going to begin in the book of Judges in the 13th chapter. Now, we're going to learn about a guy that might be a hero of yours if you're a, a gym rat. You know what I mean? Because we're going to talk about Samson. If you're, one of the, if, you're, if you're like one of the human frogs, you know what I mean, that have muscles bulging out, Samson's kind of your guy. When we talk, little boys in Sunday school, when we talk about Samson in Sunday school, it's just the coolest story in the world if you're like a young uh, third, fourth grade boy, because Samson just tears stuff up, wrecks stuff, uh, kills bad guys it, it, on a massive scale, and um, he just has the superhuman strength. He would have been a Marvel character had they had Marvel, you know, a couple thousand years ago. But uh, I'm just telling you that Samson was this kind of guy. But we're going to see some things in Samson's life that were really lacking. He's a picture of someone that had a ton of potential, that God had his hand upon, that God had promised for, that God did, in spite of his weaknesses, use. But we're also going to see that in many ways, Samson never really lived up to God's design for him because of the choices that he made. Now, before we dig into the story of Samson, I'm going to read and, and take us back to our psalm that we opened up the first a week in our series on purity, and that was the first psalm. And I'm going to read this psalm again because I want us to focus this morning on the last part of what this psalm mentions. David writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. David in this psalm has unwrapped for us a progression that goes from being pure and holy and set apart and sacred. And this path, this progression that he mentions leads to perversion. Uh, David wrote this after his sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And he talks about, as we have over the last couple of weeks, standing where we should stand and walking where we should walk. And today I want us to talk about the last part of the progression that he mentions, sitting, where we should sit. Now your Bible might render that phrase in a different way. It might uh, say hanging around or living with, depending on how modern the translation is. But someone's seat, especially in the context of David, who was king, it really was your throne. It was your place where your authority was anchored. It was your identity. It was who you are at your core. And what David is telling us is that if we really want to truly seek purity, that we should be anchored in God's character. Our pattern should be the pattern of Christ and not what he calls scoffers. And scoffers are people that basically just did whatever they wanted to do. They were guilty and they loved it. I want us to look at Samson's life, though, because Samson is a tale. He's a story. He's a man that really lived. And I'll tell you, any time that Scripture uh, gives us a story like this, I think we should use it as an example. So let's read together what the Bible tells us when it introduces us to this man we know as Samson. It says in verse 1 of Judges, the 13th chapter, I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 
You know, a lot of us are real familiar with the story of God's people walking through the desert for 40 years. But what sometimes we're unfamiliar with was that was kind of a pattern for them where they would do what was right in their own eyes. They would kind of reject God's guidelines. Um, No one was remembering or reciting or celebrating the law of God. And so everything kind of slipped morally into decay. The word, if you were to wrap the whole activity up in one word, it would be the word perversion. And it says in the midst of all this decay, moral decay and perversion, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and she could have no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you're barren. You've had no children, but you are going to conceive and bear a son. So right from the beginning, the fact that she's going to have this son is an act of God. That is beginning on ground level with the Lord, right? What he says is, on your own, without God's input, without God's design, that you're going to have a child. Without it, without God's input, you can have no children. With God's help, with his input, with his design, you're going to have children. Why is that so significant? Because God designed Samson from the first little glimpse of life in his mother's womb to be exactly who God wanted him to be. I want us to notice how it describes him. It says, you shall conceive and bear a son, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for, you, for he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He says, no razor shall come upon his head, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So what was his job? Young people, his job was to deliver his people from the hands of the Philistines. When was the last time we heard language like that? That you are going to deliver your people from the hand of who? Pharaoh, right? That sounds an awful lot like a conversation that God had with Moses. Think of how godly Moses was, the strength that Moses had. The, the relationship that he had with God. You know, the Bible talks about Moses going into the darkness on, on Mount Sinai where only God was, and God speaking to Moses. So as we listen uh, to this story, this narrative of Samson, I want us to notice some things. And the first thing really is that this guy had uh, the potential to be a godly leader. I mean, he could have been another Moses. She came and told her husband, relayed everything. And what she told her husband and later what her husband understood when God spoke to them was that Samson was going to be special. Now, kids, I want to talk to you about this thing the scripture calls a Nazarite vow. It was a vow. It was something, an agreement, almost like a contract that they would make to God. And this is what it included. It included never cutting your hair. Now, that looks kind of awkward. It's different. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. He could not touch anything unclean. Dead animals, there were certain animals that they that were ritually unclean. He could not go near them. There were some things that types of work, types of activity that other men could do that Samson was not going to be able to do because of this vow. Then the third thing was he could never touch any wine or strong drink. He couldn't get drunk. He was never to drink alcohol or alcoholic beverages. So why was this so important? Well, God's people were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They needed a deliverer. God designed in Samson his deliverer. So let's look at all these things that God put into his life. 
really what God needed in the midst of perversion, in a sea of perversion, he needed some purity. In almost, in a lot of ways, it's almost like he said, okay, in Samson's life, I'm going to push the reset button. You guys don't know what I'm like. Y'all aren't following the laws of God. Everybody's in bondage, so I'm going to deliver you, but to do that, I'm going to start by giving you somebody who is sacred, holy, set apart, to give you a little glimpse, a little pattern to follow. In a lot of ways, and this is kind of scary to think about it when you think of who Samson became, but Samson in many ways was the only scripture that God's people would ever see. His life was to be a testimony of God's purity. So what is it? What does it entail? Well, first of all, God said you're to abstain from strong drink. Now why? Because alcoholic drinks, you drink them and it impairs your, it impairs your judgment. You can't drive properly, speak properly. You kind of stumble around. Kids, I know that you probably have people in your life that get drunk on a regular basis. Adults, we all know what it looks like and it's kind of a pattern that you can see in someone. You ask them if they're stumbling around, are you drunk? And, and they usually can't give you a straight answer. He says, listen, you are going to be designed to show good judgment. Young people, if you're here and you'd say, why does God put so much emphasis on purity? Because if you're living a pure life, you will be known for good judgment and the world needs someone that can show good judgment. Then Samson needed to be very careful what he ate. Now, I can't emphasize enough how social food was. Um, if you've ever traveled in this part of the world that's kind of ancient or different, uh, where their customs are still uh, the same customs that would have been in place in this particular day, food is everything. Food is really what brings them together as a community. You eat with someone and you eat the food that they eat to build relationships with them and to enter into covenant with them. You reject somebody's food, you reject the way they eat, the place they eat, and all of a sudden you have offended them. Samson constantly had to be socially set apart. In other words, he had to make choices that at times pulled him away from what was socially cool. And in a lot of ways, it actually made him socially awkward. And in the same way, young people, God needs people that are socially set apart. Then finally, no razor was ever to touch his head. God uh, gave word to his parents that he was to be set apart and that Part of what was going to happen was that his hair was going to grow from the time that he was a baby until he, was, uh, until he went home to be with the Lord. So what does that tell us about Samson? Well, Samson was easy to spot from a long way off. He was the guy that had, you know, the natty dreads. I mean, he had, he had the dreadlocks. He had the hair. He had hair that had never been cut. Think about that. That's an amazing thing to carry with you on the basketball court. That's a crazy thing to try to work with. You know what I mean? To have that much hair. He had to have a commitment to it. He was physically marked as God's property. Again, young people, you know, if God does a work in someone's life, if you look in scripture, there was always this period where God marked them physically. The world could look at them and see that they were different. And, and a lot of times it was from a long way off. Whether you're talking about Esther or Daniel, sometimes these young people would even fit in for a time. But as soon as someone began to speak to them, they would realize, oh, you belong or you identify with God. I want to ask you, do you exhibit any of these things?
Because the truth of the matter is the world tries to put you into a mold. That's why, that's why scripture tells us not to be um, conformed or pressed into the world's mold, but to be transformed, to be like the, a worm would turn into a butterfly, to be transformed into something completely de- different through the renewing of our mind. But I want to tell you something about Samson that breaks my heart. While he exhibited for a time these outward things in his heart, he was really, his life was marked by rebellion against God. There's only two other people in scripture that, had life, that took lifelong Nazarite vows. The first one was Samuel. Samuel was a leader who was king and priest. There was never a leader like Samuel. I mean, he was amazing. He led God's people into battle. He led them into worship. It was a crazy thing, Samuel. It was an amazing commitment in the life of Samuel. And Samuel constantly, from the day he was born until the day he went to be with the Lord in heaven, Samuel belonged to God. The second person was John the Baptist. If you know anything about John the Baptist, and we're going to learn more about him the closer we get to Christmas, celebrating Jesus' birthday, he was the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets. And John the Baptist lived alone in the wilderness. He lived there for great periods of time. John the Baptist was a holy man, set apart for God's special purpose, and loved the Lord dearly. Ultimately, John the Baptist died because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was one of the first martyrs uh, as a follower of Jesus. So I want you in a moment as we understand and read through the story of Samson, I want you to think, would Samuel have ever done this? Do we ever see John the Baptist acting this way? Is this something Jesus would have done? Because that's the character pattern that Samson was supposed to have followed. So first of all, I want us to notice, and I'm not going to read through his story. It it takes up three chapters in Scripture. I learned early in my ministry, I tried to preach through the whole life of Samson, and we're not going to do that today. I'm not going to preach a two-parter. But I am going to paraphrase like a wild man, okay? So y'all hang with me. First thing I want us to notice was that Samson, rather than have good judgment, he lacked good judgment. The Bible calls him a judge. He was to discern right from wrong for God's people. He was supposed to be that person that people could bring problems to, and Samson was supposed to sort them out. I want to read to you out of a a couple of sentences from Judges, the 16th chapter, and I want us to have our ears open, kids. I want you to uh, listen to the actions of Samson and tell me if it sounds to you like good judgment. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. Do you ever think of Samuel going and visiting prostitutes? Do we ever find John the Baptist visiting prostitutes? Do we ever see Jesus going and doing and, and engaging this kind of behavior? No. But, and not only that, this was in an area controlled and ruled by the Philistines that God had sent him to deliver his people from. Now, no one cared that Samson did this. Because everybody was rejecting God anyway. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But it gets worse. Through a series of events, he basically gets arrested. The Philistines come and find him in this position that he's in uh, of being in complete rebellion against God. They try to shackle him and tie him. He takes the gate off the gates off the city walls. The gates off the city walls, not the front door of a hotel, not the gate to the fence that leads into the yard, 
but the gates that weigh thousands of pounds. He takes the strength that God has given him. He's caught visiting this particular woman and he carries this, these gates and look at scripture tells us where he carries these gates. Okay, he's defying the authority of the Philistines, which no one had a problem with that. That's fine. That's, he's supposed to deliver. But he's caught by the Philistines visiting a prostitute. And so there he is, guilty of moral sin, living as a complete pagan, and he flaunts it by taking these gates and he carries them to the top of the hill, the Bible says, that is in front of Hebron. Do y'all remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the city of Hebron? Well, we did. And let me tell you, this was a special city. You remember when we talked about how God uh, spoke to Abraham and Abraham and his nephew Lot went to the promised land and they began to, to, to thrive there and they were, there were too many uh, sheep and too many goats and too many of the herdsmen. So Abraham said, Lot, you pick where you want to go. I'll go where you don't want to go. Well, when Lot picked... Sodom and Gomorrah and went into the green valley. Abraham took his flocks and his herds and he went to the city of Hebron. It's one of the most special, religiously significant places on the face of the earth. This is where all the patriarchs are buried, all the fathers of God's people, the Israelites. This is where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah are all buried. You remember we talked about Joseph and his family carrying him back? It's so he could be buried with his family there. And, and listen, you talk about a, a place with a rich spiritual heritage. And here he is getting caught visiting a prostitute carrying the gates of this city and flaunting it at this special city, this place where his fathers would go to hear from God. To me, this is a real perversion of what should have been going on. And I'll tell you, what he was showing everyone openly was where he got his spiritual strength. I want to share with you a quick story out of Matthew. Jesus had the scribes and Pharisees, and they came to him, and, and they were questioning him in Matthew, the 16th chapter. And they wanted a sign from him. In other words, they were saying, spiritually feed us. The disciples came to Jesus. They were talking about it. And Jesus pulled the disciples aside and he said, beware of looking at God the way that the scribes and Pharisees look at God. In other words, Jesus was saying, beware how you find your spiritual sustenance. See, the scribes and Pharisees were very religious and they were very legalistic and they always attacked Jesus. And Jesus brought up to the disciples uh, his feeding of the loaves and fishes in the way that he took a small thing, uh, this little tiny loaf of bread, and blessed it. And Jesus told them, listen, you need to be careful how you find your spiritual food. And I believe if Samson's life is a picture of anything, if you're here and you say, Donnie, I really want to live a life of purity. I want to show good judgment. Then we should be careful where we find our food. In other words, what sustains us, what encourages us, what we find our hope in. You need to be careful how you're entertained, how you find that extra push you need to get through the week, how you cope with pain. 
Because listen, that's what defines us. Samson lacked good judgment. Second thing was that he lacked a desire to identify with God's people. That was the whole purpose of his existence. But there was, rather than him being willing to be separated in the way that we talked about socially and eat with and identify with God's people, he ran from them. In Judges chapter 14, there is a, a, basically a story that, that tells us how Samson picked out his wife. And kids, I'm going to paraphrase most of this, but I want us to read the language in verse 1 of Judges chapter 14 because it illustrates very clearly the problem that he had identifying with God's people, the people that he should be delivering. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, which was a a Philistine city, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the bad guys. They were the ones that were stealing from God's people and killing God's people. They were the ones that Samson was supposed to be attacking and killing and defending uh, God's people uh, before. But it says in verse 2, he came up and told his father and mother. Listen to what he says. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among our people, among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you've got to go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson, listen how he talks to his parents. Get her for me, Samson says to his father, for she is right in my eyes. Samson basically says, I don't care what you think or what God thinks. I think I want to marry this Philistine woman. He totally embraced the culture. You know, it's hard to deliver your people from destruction when you embrace the culture of destruction. And there's got to be a moment of separation. There was never a time in Samson's life that we ever see him building an altar. There's never a time in Samson's life where he goes and gets alone with the Lord. There's never a time when Samson does anything that indicates that he did not completely just buy into the Philistine way of thinking and living. I remember when I was early in my life, you know, my parents took me to church and, and, I, and I hung out there. And so I kind of got a lot of it just by soaking in the way you kids are getting it. You know, every week the van drivers come and they pick you up and we include you in everything going on. But I got to tell you, once I went off to college, it was kind of my first time of deciding what I wanted to eat, where I wanted to go, what I was going to do. And God began to convict me because I realized for all those years, while I hadn't really been involved in a lot of garbage, I got to tell you, it was really just because of my parents doing it. It wasn't because of any choices I had made. In other words, they had protected me and they had done good for me. But it was time for me to have that moment of separation where I chose for myself that I was going to follow the Lord. Young people, I want to tell you, that time's going to come for you. And it really is a defining moment. I believe it happens, and I don't know when exactly it does happen. It might happen on a weekend retreat or a discipleship now weekend, or it might happen uh, right this morning where you're sitting. If you're an adult here and you've known the Lord for a little bit, but you're kind of growing in your faith, that time's going to come where you have to understand that you can't live like the world and live for Christ. It's got to be a moment of separation 
And I want to ask if you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of God and I love the Lord and I want to live in purity. Then the simple question is, in what specific, not big pie in the skyways, but in what specific ways are you separate from those around you who live in rebellion against God? What specific choices, what specific sacrifices? You know, Samson never made one. He never brought his best to the Lord and laid it on an altar and let it burn. In fact, we're going to see at the end of his life when he finally was broken before God, he was more effective in killing Philistines when he died than the whole of his life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he makes this statement that just rings in my ears. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He said, you cannot love God and money. And I think you could also equally say, you can't love God and popularity. You can't chase after God and what the neighborhood tells you is most valuable. There has to be that moment of separation. You have to determine where you find your supply. Third thing I want us to notice as Pinkston says, this is number last. When God's call required sacrifice, Samson chose sin rather than God's purpose for him. When it came time to determine where he would finally sit down and live, as David told us and talked about in his Psalms, he always chose sin. The Bible talks about in Judges, the 16th chapter, about a woman named Delilah who came to him, and boy, I could talk about the story for a while. There's a lot of good stuff here, but for our purposes and in the time we have this morning, I want us to see what happens. Delilah is one of those women that kind of could be manipulated for money, and the Philistines came to her and said, we know he really likes the way that you look, and Samson, who was motivated by his eyes, just had that time where he thought she was all that. And, and so he chased after her with everything he had in him, and the whole time she's using him. And she's not really even hiding it. I mean, she comes to Samson and says, I really need to know where your strength lies. And so Samson, as we often do when we're confronted with a temptation to sin, he got real close to sinning. And he tried to get as close to playing with sin, to get close to that edge where he could kind of still say, well, I'm still keeping my vow. In verse 7 he says, if they bind me with fresh bowstrings, I, that have never been dried, I will lose my strength. Well, what are these made out of? They're made out of animal gut and animal tissue. And when they would butcher an animal, the parts that were not edible, they would, they would weave into a bowstring. And, and basically, he asks for what is completely unclean. He said, you know, I'm not basically, I'm not, I guess I'm not eating unclean food. I'm getting real close to it. And in his mind, he justifies how close he gets. You know, kids, we've talked about these lies that Satan tells. And one of the lies that he tells us when he 
confronts us with temptation is that everyone is doing this, that, you know, what you're wanting to be a part of is something that's natural and they talk about it all the time and everybody's involved in it. How silly would it be for somebody to think that, you know, after all, if I'm tied with fresh bowstrings, that somehow I'm going to lose my strength. So she does the thing that he tells her will cause him to lose his strength. And the Philistines come. And Samson hops up and kills all the Philistines that came to arrest him. Now, you would think that Samson would kind of wake up and think, now, wait a minute, there's only one person here that knew I was bound up in fresh bowstrings. There's only one woman here that's wanting to know where my strength lies. And every time I let her do whatever she thinks she needs to do to me here, I lose my strength. But no, Samson thinks it's a game. That kind of reminds me of the second lie that Satan often tells us, and that is that no one will ever know. She comes to him again and says, you've got to tell me how you get your strength, where it comes from. And he said, if you'll buy me with new ropes. In verse 11, he says, if you'll buy me with new ropes. And again, this has to do with the fruit of the vine, and it has to do with getting very, very close to sin. He says, if you'll buy me with these ropes, I will, new ropes that have not ever been used, I'll lose my strength. And again, she does this while he's asleep. The Philistines come and he kills the Philistines that are there to arrest him. She does this again and say, and I think at this point, Samson's seeing a pattern. As she asks, I hope he is, or I don't really, I worry about his intelligence. But he, the Bible says she keeps asking him, tell me where your strength comes from. Listen, kids, he gets right up to that line. He says, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the, with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. He doesn't tell her to cut his hair. He tells her to weave it. And he's getting very close to breaking his vow to God. Now, I want to ask you something, young people. I need you to look at me. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, what is the big deal with getting a haircut? For him, it represented a separation from the world. Remember what we talked about? For him, it represented God having his hand on his life, of him being physically identified as God's property, of him being socially separated from the crowd, of him being sacred and set apart of him being clean before God. But he gets so close to violating that vow. And finally, after she calls the Philistines and he breaks out of that loom that his hair was woven into and he kills all the Philistines that are there, the Bible says that day after day after day, she vexed him. That means she nagged him to death. She said, you have to tell me where your strength comes from. And finally, the Bible says in verse 17, listen to what it says, and he told her all his heart. That is the warning that David gives us in the first Psalm. Not to finally just sit with scoffers. Don't ever trust them with your heart. And he tells her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And listen, he even understands why. And I shall become weak and be like any other man.
Delilah pounces on his weakness. It wasn't his muscles. It was his eyes. And she cut his hair. She waited till he went to sleep, shaved it off, called the Philistines, and they came and they took Samson and plucked his eyes out. They took him to a place that they worshiped their God and they put him in the basement doing the job that a donkey would normally do, pushing a millstone, grinding their wheat. The Bible says he was so physically weak that he was having to be led by a little boy. It was a joke. He was an exhibit, the way you would have, you know, a rattlesnake in front of a restaurant or, you know, a sign that has the world's largest ball of yarn or something. I mean, you went to this temple, you got to see the defeated strong man that killed thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey. You went to worship this God, you got to see Samson that tore the, the gates off Gaza and carried him onto the hill at Hebron. You got to see the man that couldn't be arrested being led by a boy as he tread the grain like a donkey. They laughed and they jeered at him. Never did Samson ever build an altar of sacrifice. We never even find him leading in one single prayer or conversation to God. And we see him at this moment of sacrifice. I want to ask you something. What is, what is God's, what does your walk with God cost you? Is your walk kind of a cheap profession of faith? Is it a weak faith? Is it a faith that as long as you go to a place where everybody kind of around you rallies around you, as long as they give you that that, that uplifting encouragement to follow the Lord, that you're committed to the Lord? Or is there, have you come to that place in your life that your sacrifice has, has it's cost you to walk with the Lord? Uh, I'm gonna say it another way, especially for our young people. Are you prepared to make that sacrifice? Right now, you might be in a protected place. Your parents might be loving you and leading you and, and walking with you, but are you preparing for that time that's gonna come in your life when you're gonna have to make that personal commitment to the Lord to live for Christ. You know, Jesus in Matthew 16 talked about this kind of commitment because the Bible says that he began to talk to his disciples about what was going to happen to him, how he was going to be, uh, go to Jerusalem, how he was going to suffer many things, um, and how he ultimately would die and be raised on the third day. And he makes this statement in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus makes the statement, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We think crosses that we kind of see us walking with our cross, but you know, those things are made to die on. And ultimately, if you're there and you're in a big pile of scoffers who mock the things of God, who take the, the truths of God's character, the guidelines laid out uh, in Scripture that tell us what Jesus is like, and they've exposed you to all those things, you've heard that truth, and you're surrounded by people that just think it's a big joke. At some point, 
you're going to have to die on that cross in order to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, until that time comes in your life, when you're willing to say, okay, this is the moment where I end and God begins, then you can't even begin to follow him. I'll say it another way. You'll never live a life of purity until you come to that place where you recognize, I've got to live different than this. Samson, the Bible says, one day they carried him up to jeer at him in the temple. And the young boy led him. He couldn't see. And Samson asked the young boy, he said, put my hands on the main pillars that are holding this place up. And these are stones that were carved that weighed literally tens of thousands of pounds. And he prayed one last prayer. He said, God, let me die with the Philistines, but give me strength to push this, these columns. And he prayed, let me die with them. The Bible says Samson pushed with all of his might and God gave him one last burst of strength. And in his death, he killed more Philistines that day than all uh, of the work that he had done in battle before. It reminds me of what Jesus said. He said, if you really want to find your life, you have to lose it. And in order for him to truly know the purpose that he was built for, he had to come to a place, Samson did rather, where Samson was willing to do whatever God needed him to do, even if it meant him coming to an end of himself. Let's bow our heads together, can we? Because I believe what God has done this morning is he's led us to this place and this time of decision. And you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, what do I do? I'm at this place, Donnie, where I know that I can't live like everyone else and follow the Lord. Listen, Scripture says, it uses a word that we don't use anymore. It's the word repentance. It means a heart decision that the way that I'm living is wrong and I'm going to live differently. And so today the decision before us is one of repentance. Will you repent? Will you recognize God, the way I'm living, this impurity, this, this lifestyle that disagrees with your character, it's got to stop. And God, I know that I'm going to struggle against it. I know it's going to require a fight, but I'm willing to come to a place where it ends. And maybe that would be your decision. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to encourage you if you're here today to pray a prayer that I know God will answer. And this is the prayer. God, would you discipline me like a loving father so I can be more like Jesus every day? And perhaps that would be your prayer. God, discipline me as a loving father so I can be more like Jesus. You might be here this morning and that spiritual life has never taken place. You've never had a spiritual birth. And today you would come and say, I need to have that spiritual birthday, that time of spiritually beginning. I want to pray with you. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have counselors that will be here at the front. And we're here to just help you pray the same way that someone helped us so that you can have that moment in your life that, okay, from this moment on, I know that God is going to do a work in me. Let's bow our heads together, can we? Father, as we come to this time and place of decision, we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, would lead us, would soften our hearts, and would bless this time so that those who are bound up, God, in sin could find deliverance from it. Those that uh, need to be born again, Father, could have a spiritual birthday. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.